This is your princess here, and I welcome you to another episode of The Podcast with No Name. Tonight, we will explore the practical yet emotive topic of our cars. It is obvious why I say practical. Virtually all of us here in the land of Oz need a vehicle to get us from A to B. I say emotive because people often get rather attached to their car or hold a special place in their heart for their first car. Our cars can also be emotive because they engender a feeling of nostalgia as we remember learning to drive, where we drove our cars, who we went on road trips with and, for some lucky ones amongst us, who we had romantic encounters with in our car. Tonight I am joined by Eddie, the podfather, our captain, Sid, and Graham, as we discuss all things automotive. Quick straw poll, podcasters. Did you learn automatic or manual? Manual. I would manual. 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 I think we are of a certain age. Is it Manuel? Mine was, mine was actually. Generation. It was three on the tree, if you remember that. I suppose the podfather only uses cars for. Yeah. So did I. I. I actually like a column shift. The listeners out there, if you don't know what uh, three on the tree is, ask your grandparents. What about you, Captain? Three on the tree or four on the floor? I've never actually heard of those sayings. Oh, really? No. With the column shift? Yeah. Yeah, well, depending which car you were driving, because we had a column shift, and the car that I did learn to drive in was, I suppose, what is the tree one? Four in the tree? Three in the tree? (laughs) Three three on the tree. Three on the tree. That probably sounds more what it was actually like. I always wanted to try one in the back seat. (laughs) (laughs) You haven't lived unless you tried to. Never made it to the back seat. We didn't last that long. But that comes later in the discussion. All right. Who taught you to drive? Myself. My dad. Oh. Yeah, my dad. My mum taught me to drive, but my dad told her what to teach me. Uh, I took lessons. I paid for them myself. I didn't want my folks to teach me. Why not? I didn't like their driving style. Fair enough. I learned to drive on my own by myself after my father died. (laughs) So who went with you for the lessons, though? No one. Not not back then. Like I was underage and there was a car and he was gone, so we used to take it for drives. My 16-year-old has just started driving and he, he hates it when I drive with him because he thinks I'm too critical. Nicholas just, didn't like it. I, didn't take yeah. him. I took him twice. Meg took him there. I, I just constantly twice. scream out, break and stop. Do you think it would be harder to teach someone to drive a car who can already fly an aeroplane? Yeah, it's, it could be it's a shocking part. You've got to do 120 hours to drive a car, but, yeah, you only got to do 30 hours to fly an aeroplane. Makes sense. 30? Yeah. Is that all? 30. 30. Oh, and, and probably you, less it's if you... bucks an hour for lessons, but um, yeah. after 30 hours you get your recreational pilot's licence, which mm-hmm. allows you to fly. So then you start building up your hours towards your private pilot's licence. And people go solo allows... at different times, though. Like 30 isn't the minimum. You might 30 is be... the uh, – oh, that's what they recommend, day. 30, but you yeah. can go solo after 15 if they think yeah, you're ready. Yeah, but it's rare to do that. Well, it? they think he's ready now. 
but yeah, but yeah, in some of... cases, people do. I knew a girl who went solo after fifteen, but I worked with yeah. a guy who took two thousand. Yes, to go solo. <laughs> So, okay. So how is how let's is bring it, it back with, to when cars. you're in the air? Fifteen is safe. Well, it depends on their opinion of whether you can do it or not, and whether you'll just freak out. It's got more to do with your attitude mm. and things than knowledge. Okay, dear listener, I'd just like to remind you that we're actually talking about learning to drive tonight. We seem to have gone on a little sidetrack into learning to fly, which gives us an opportunity to pay homage to Taylor Hawkins, who passed away today, and we'd just Mm. like to send our love and best wishes to his family, his friends, and all the Foo Fighters. Absolutely agree. Well said. Ragic. What model car did you learn to drive on? Uh, I had a, it was my dad's Commodore, actually, a six-cylinder Commodore, sky blue in colour. It was no. a really gay-looking car, but, gee, it had some power. Yeah, I learned on a 1972 Holden Kingswood HQ model, three on the tree, red engine, station wagon. It was fantastic. Rear-wheel drive. Love driving that thing backwards. No, yeah, I learned my mum had one of them. Wagon or sedan? Sedan. Yeah, yeah. I learned on a Mazda Mazda 808. That was the three on the tree, but a ZH Fairlane. I think it was about a 78 model, 5.8 litre. That was always fun too. Nice. That's powerful, 5.8 litres. Yeah, yeah. Nice car. They're going for about 30 grand now. While I drove the car that the instructor had, and sometimes it would be different cars, the first car I had access to after getting my licence was a 1967 Nissan Cedric. Did it have oh. a name? We just called Cedric. it Cedric. <laughs> I mean, that yes. That leads me into another question. But, yeah, a friend of mine had an Austin and they naturally called it Steve. Oh, <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Very much so. That's good. But how many famous Cedrics are there? Oh, so many. And? Such I, as? I saw a show about it. <laughs> and people who have them are amazingly attached to them and, like, rarely get rid of them ever. And they, like, keep them for hundreds of years and pass them down through the family. Yeah. And Richard... there was a whole thing about how their marketing department came to name it the Cedric that made absolutely no sense to an English-speaking person. Didn't wow. Richard Hammond have a Nissan Cedric? Isn't that what he drove across Africa and he liked it so much that he took it home? When yeah, I think he did in, in one of those. Um, it's one of those Top Gear specials. Yeah, yeah. 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 I have seen the special. Love the them. one thing about the uh, Nissan Cedric was, geez, it was incredibly thirsty with the petrol. <laughs> and I'm wondering how much petrol would you need to make the trip at least be like double or triple compared to most other cars? It's a bit of a chick magnet there, um, Sid. Did you pick up a bit oh, in the Cedric? It certainly drew attention, but I don't know about chick <laughs> magnet. <laughs> Not many people wanted to go for a ride on that one. Okay. That's the car we learnt on. What was the first car you owned? Oh, oh yes. I had a... 1969 model Toyota Corona, uh, same model as me. I was born in 1969. It's and, a great um, vintage. It had batch seats, had three on the tree, and it was uh, white in colour. <laughs> Terribly small engine. It wouldn't pull the skin off a rice pudding, but um, it was a nice car. I was so proud of it. It cost $200. I had a 1970 XW Falcon with a 302 V8 engine, and it had XD bucket seats, which was very impressive for the time, <laughs> and hot wire mag wheels. 
and it used to, if one was so inclined, <laughs> if you put your foot flat to the floor on a rainy day from a traffic lights, it would weave backwards and forwards across the road incredibly dangerously. And um, and it made lots of noise and things. And it was very thirsty for oil, I remember. It was too much car for a 17-year-old. But I loved it during the times when it ran. It didn't always run. <laughs> Did you ever come to grief in that one, um, never, Kurt? Never had an accident. I assume you're Kurt tonight. Yes. No, I know something else now. Podfather. My dad liked it as a first car for me because it was so big and solid that his thinking was that if you do run into something, you'll be all right. But I actually think in hindsight... He probably would have been killed by slamming into the dashboard or something like that. Well, I mean, the whole point of cars crumpling when they have pranks and why they are, we have so many write-offs now, is that the crumple absorbs a lot of the shock of the prank. So supposedly keeping people safer and then they've got a stronger bit around the cabin where people sit. The cars back in the day, the ones that we all learnt to drive on and first had, they did not absorbed the shock so theoretically people were getting worse mm. injuries but i don't know how that bears out statistically yeah it was I, so huge you could fit so many people inside like it had like it only had bucket seats in the front but the back seat you could fit four people comfortably yeah. if you didn't get caught and uh, <laughs> is that legally or comfortably <laughs> what about and you, you could captain? lie completely across the back it was awesome nice what about you captain what was the first car you owned First car I owned was a red LH 1974 Tirana. Wow. Mm. wow. YSE998 was oh. the red number. I remember that. Yes, oh. it was very, very good. And surprisingly, so what I learned to drive in like 1991 and uh, it was still a good car, didn't have any rust in it. It was great. Loved it. I had it for about three years before it finally, you know, gave up the ghost. They literally die out your first car, don't they? Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, the first car I actually owned was a not-too-distant relation to Sid's R Cedric because it was a Datsun 260C, mm. 1975 model, and I bought it off a woman I knew called Mum. And um, <laughs> it had a nickname, the Tugboat, because when you hit a bump or one of the rare speed humps back in that day, it would still be going up and down about a kilometre later. <laughs> other ways. Absolutely loved it. And I think I paid mum a hundred bucks for it. And it's oh. just a funny a funny story about it is we, we lost the um the petrol cap one day, I think driving down to our national park. And um when I went to Datsun to get a new one, they were two hundred and forty dollars. <laughs> the car the car was the car was technically a write-off because I lost the petrol cap. Wow. <laughs> um, I ended up selling it to a mate, Des, and he um he paid me 100 bucks for it, so I didn't lose out. But he oh. the last time I saw it or oh. heard of it, he hit another car going over a bridge between Penshurst and Mortal. There's a little one-lane bridge there. And um, it was a new Celica. The Celica was written off. This thing had a little dent in the front. They were so well made. Wow. Um, it was a great little car. Great, oh, Not little, 2.6 litre. But it had an electrical aerial and an electric boot. How's that? Oh, that's fancy. Electrical aerial's mm. cool. Yeah. Fancy. Yeah. I, the first car I owned was a Mazda Capella 1976 oh, model. Oh, the Capella? Yeah, not the rotary engine. Not a rotary. No, the yeah. 323 one. Is it, was it the 1600 or something like that? No, 1300? it's a Capella. It's its own model. And, yeah, I mean um, the 1300 engine or something. 1600. Not the rotary. 1600, 1.6 yeah. engine. And she was a fantastic car. And the minute I saw her, I knew her name was Hester. And... 
she and I were together for 13 years and she was great. And I went to um, college down in Canberra and that was out at Bill Connon. If listener is in Canberra, he will understand these locations. And every so often we would go down to Civic for some reason and then have to get back. And Hester, she was an older girl. She needed a little bit of help up hills, especially the hill coming out of Civic up around the back of Black Mountain to get out to Belconnen. So we used to wind the windows down and we all put our arms out the thing and we would row. We'd do it all together and row. And the car would get this real surge going and we'd get up the hill. It was fantastic. I thought you were saying you put your arms out there so you get like an aerofoil kind of effect in the lift. No, we would we rode with our arms, and we I can't remember the name of the street, Captain. I think road. I think it was Barry Drive. Drive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was the car in which we used to we'd pull up at traffic lights and we'd all dive out of the car and race around the car and then get back into different seats Uh, and things. We used to do that. Yeah, that was a fun thing to do. It was. It was. You know, I know the first car I had access to, but when you everyone's recalling like the make and the model of the first car they owned, and for the life of me, I can't recall it. All I know is it was a red car, it was a sedan, um, lasted me say about two or three years, but don't ask me what brand it was, I can't recall. But did it get you from A to B? Got me from A to B, but I've always taken a very kind of pragmatic view about cars. So that one was two or three years. The next one was two or three years. I, I really don't know. I really don't know what uh, make it was. That's it. It was red. That's the main thing. Yeah. It was red. Yeah. They do red. go red, faster. Red cars go faster. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pro- probably a Corvette or a Ferrari. Yeah. Well, I, I can only dream, but I know it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. the next next question I've posed on my notes here is for those of you who learnt on a manual, so that's all of us, do you still drive a manual car today? I say yes. I don't own a manual, but Meg's car's a manual. So my car's an automatic, but we, have, we share the cars. So, yeah. yes, I do yeah. drive a manual still. Yeah. Sorry, our front yard looks like a car yard now. We've got Harrison's car. We've got another Corolla we bought for um, for Mitchell's driving lessons. We've got the wifey's car and my ute. And all of them are automatic. We do not have a manual in the house. Yeah, I drove manuals from the start all the way to when I got married. And then due to practicality, I tried to teach my Marianne how to drive one and it just didn't happen. So for safety issues and other issues, I switched to automatic and have been ever since. Do you miss not driving a manual? Oh, absolutely. Love them. Sometimes. What about you, Captain? Do you still have a manual? No, I don't even think I probably could drive a manual, to be honest. No. Uh, What about your Mary Ann, Captain? Yeah. Does he have a a manual? Is his motorbike manual? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, he's only got the bike. Yeah. Well, he's got a bike, but he he could drive a manual and he's he's got like a heavy truck licence, so he can, yeah, he can do it all. And what about you, Sid? Do you still have a manual? Uh, I'm in the same situation as Kurt where I have an automatic because it's harder and harder to get manuals these days that are brand new. Mm. But my wife uh, has a a manual and I would drive her car sometimes as well. So ambidextrous, if you like. I can drive either. Yeah, yeah. I must say my Marianne has, Mr Safety has an automatic and, yeah, we're ambidextrous. But I mostly drive my car, which is a manual, because it's the runabout. Smaller engine uses less fuel, so it's the runabout. It's interesting now, Princess, that um, some of your your better cars like BMW, like the BMW 3 Series, 
the model they've got out now will be the last manual you can buy. And it's actually a special edition, and you actually pay more now for a manual. Porsche do it. This is BMW's last. Well, you still wow. do in most cars. You pay two grand extra for an auto, like yeah. say in a Kia or whatever. But um, manuals are becoming obviously things of the past. Most autos now are yeah, HP. I think they're phasing them out. Um, they the, are. The technology's so much better now with automatics, and they're as fuel efficient now. If not even better. Yeah. Marianne, her car is bigger, and it's an SUV type car, and. They said, would you like an auto or a manual? And she said, manual, because she learned on an automatic. But then I had a manual, and I taught her to drive the manual, and then her mum taught her to drive the man- another manual that they got, and then she just liked manual. So since then, she's had nothing but manual transmission cars. So that car is bigger, and we that's more of our when-we-all-go-out-together kind of car. Yeah, I love driving a manual. Now, practical stuff. Can you change a tyre and do the oil and water yourself? Check all those, check all your fluids and things and look after your car. I assume you'd be talking about your car. Yes. In our own bodies. I don't know what tyre you would be changing on yourself, Eddie. I've got spare tyres. (laughs) (laughs) I can do all that stuff still. Yeah. Although I haven't done the oil bit from... A long while, but I still remember where the sump plug probably is. Mm. So right. if if I was called upon, if society collapsed and I needed to do it, I could do it. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can't do these days with um, mm. the computers and and so on. They, they yeah, just, I guess they, they take them into the service center, they plug them in and go, oh yeah, this needs to be changed and this needs to be changed. Bang, yeah. bang, bang. Yeah, well, even so, the yeah, spark plugs aren't spark plugs anymore. They're kind of no. different. They're very different. Yeah, but even just yeah. um, before you head out on a trip, you do the tyre pressures and you go and do your oil and water and just make sure all your basic stuff's ready to go. For myself, I can do all that and I can change a tyre. But where I come unstuck with is these days tyres at tyre places are not put on by hand anymore. They're put on by those rivety things and there is no oh, way yeah. on this sweet earth that I will get tyre nuts undone manually after they've been done by the rivety thing. Mm. You have to stand mm-hmm. on the on the tyre and jump up and down. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Or get a really long piece of pipe and sort of leverage. Yes, yes. But, well, yeah. You need that it. skill because you never know yeah. if you're going to be stuck in the middle of nowhere and you mm. can't call the NRMA. Um, I changed the tyre. So I changed the tyre about six months ago on the old Hume Highway in between Mittagong and Berrima. Hitting a big pothole in the wet. It was pissing Oof. rain. Oh, and, I, and I was going. I was going to a luncheon with some old friends from um, Barrel Work, and I got there. I was covered in black crap on my hands and all dripping wet. But I had a good day. Yeah, yeah. If you just give your wheel nuts a bit, a quick squirt with WD forty, they come off like that. Really? Okay. Yeah. If you don't know what WD forty is, people, um, ask your grandparents. WD forty gets all sorts of things off. It's mm. amazing stuff. An amazing personal lubricant. I remember <laughs> myself and Eddie changing the points in his silver Camira. Did you have a Camira, Eddie? Or yes, I did. Sort? Yes. Remember we changed the points when you lived yeah. at Concord. <laughs> mm. And I think we replaced the spark plugs too. And then, yeah, yeah, they don't have points anymore. Um, my brother was a mechanic the... and he, he taught me how to do a lot of stuff like yeah. that. But um, I remember doing these the days PR. you cannot, you just can't work on cars these yeah. days. They're, they're not serviceable by humans. Mm. Well, the no. legendary Hester used to get flooded. She used to flood very, very quickly. And Eddie saved me and taught me how to unflood a car. Cool. 
Princess, did the capella have a manual choke? Yes, it did. Oh, yes, yes. it did. That's yeah. right, she did. Just under the underneath, it would have been one. Um, no, just under the left hand to the left of the steering wheel. Just low there. The eight, yeah, the eight hundred eight had one as well. The most Yeah, yeah, the manual so choke. Did the so did all the cars yeah, back then. My XW Probably. had a little a choke. I remember a cold winter morning out there pulling the choke on and and then that balance between flooding it and getting it to start. <laughs> yeah, it, it it was a art form getting using very the fine line. Now there's <laughs> just enough, just enough pull and yeah. you have pressure. Just enough, just sort enough. Of, yeah. Especially when you lived in Canberra and you had those cold winter mornings, it oh. was it was an art form and pest. <laughs> It took a good half hour before yeah. I'd have to go we, out half an hour before anyone else got yeah, in the car. Absolutely. And you'd hear the whole street just humming as everyone yeah. started their cars, <laughs> scraping the ice off and getting oh, the, yeah. the hot water 20 minutes out. to scrape the ice off yeah. the windscreen. Yeah. Oh, for, yeah. And take forever if you had a heater for it to come on. And actually, oh. <laughs> it's not haters. Haters are for wuss, wusses. Yeah. Well, for many years, that's all I ever used my Medicare card for was to scrape ice <laughs> off a windscreen. It was the best thing. Good size, really good connection with the windscreen, and you get the ice off lickety split. Oh, it's funny. Oh, on your windscreen to get rid of ice. No, oh, it just goes bang. bang. Goes crack. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no hot water, but cold water will do it. Cold water will refreeze the ice. Cold water, then you get the windscreen wipers on straight away. The other trick is to either use a newspaper or an old magazine and just put the sheets there at night before you went to sleep, and then you could just peel them off in the morning. But that blew up in my face one night in Canberra. I went to a housewarming at Emu Ridge, Captain. A housewarming. You're going to say a house of ear repute. No, no, no. It was a housewarming. And we it was in Emu Ridge. In those days, the standard gift was toilet paper that you pinched from the university. So everyone took rolls of toilet paper and they TP'd the car during the night. And the TP froze to the car. And there was no way I was, my Medicare card was not getting that TP, which had frozen onto the windscreens and the windows. It wasn't coming off until the next morning about midday because it was so cold. They didn't have a fridge, so they just left the milk in the window because it froze overnight. Wow. Sorry, Princess, I was telling a story earlier today when I worked in Bucharest how the uh, the car got snowed yes. and covered. Yes, you were. And I was um, having lunch with a couple of the managers and we'll, I'd probably there for about two hours and when we actually came back, the snowstorm was that bad we could not see the car. It had totally buried in the snow. So I remember one of the managers went back to the restaurant, asked for a bit of a shovel so we could dig a pathway to the car then he was able to open up the boot, got a couple more shovels out, and we literally were digging like uh, the snow to get to the car, uh, make a bit of a pathway out. And I thought, now that's what you call cold. That's what you call difficult. And that was probably, oh, no, it took us about an hour to leave. That's uh, with, you know, three people working on it. And that was lots of exercise for you as well. Oh, absolutely. You definitely worked up a sweat doing that. So on to the more emotive stuff. Did you get attached to your first car? I mean, the very fact mine had a name and I said she was with me for 13 years says that we were attached. So what about everybody else? Yeah, very much so. That car was um, it was like the first thing I ever really owned, the first big thing, and, and it gave me freedom. So, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time alone in that car. 
I also took it to Melbourne. I did my first long driving stint in that car, going all the way to Melbourne with Mum on my P plates, so at wow. 80Ks on the Hume Highway all going way. to Melbourne. Truck yeah, drivers the must have loved you. Then when we got to Melbourne, yeah, we got to Melbourne. I didn't know the rule about the city, how uh, you have to turn right from the left lane. Oh, the hook oh, turn. The hook turn. Yeah. yeah. Turn. Yeah, so I didn't know that rule, and I nearly crashed the car down there. And going through an intersection, I nearly got run over by a tram because I didn't know that they just appeared out of nowhere in the middle of the intersections. So, yeah, it was a quite an introduction to driving. But, yeah, big attachment to that car. It was really about freedom more than anything. You could just get up and go where you wanted to go, when you wanted to go. Absolutely. I love my relationship with mine because it didn't always love me. It didn't always want to run. You were never quite sure if you would make it to where you were going. <laughs> and so I had that car from when I was 15 to when I was 19. And we I built it with my dad in the backyard because he was a mechanic and a car person. So he was living through me. And But I liked it. It was good fun. And um, then we, you know, it would let you down at different moments of importance when you wanted to go somewhere <laughs> and then finally the electrical system caught fire and that rang the end of it so I sold it to a guy who took the engine out and put it in a racing boat and then um I know now that they sell online for like 50 grand 60 grand and stuff like that but um I loved it in a way but it did cause me a lot of pain anyone else any um attachments definitely to your first yeah car? not the first car. obviously it can't even remember what model it was the first car, the Datsun tugboat, obviously a lot of memories due to the fact that it was that first time you could just jump in your car and um, take off to wherever you want quickly. Yeah, so the freedom aspect, but, you know, New Horizons, we all had CB radios in our cars and we used to get all, into all sorts of trouble and get onto parks and just do demos around the parks and try not to get caught. All those stupid things you do when you're young. A lot of good memories. What was your CB handle there, uh, Graham? I can't remember. We were just, you know, breaker, breaker. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Only way out. We, we used to drive around and just say what street we're on and try and find each other within a confine of two suburbs and that sort of thing. So you can just imagine we're all trying to go as fast as we can and just absolute morons. Fun. See, everyone does that with mobile phones now. Where are you? What street did you say you're on? What about you, Captain? Yeah, I suppose my car, it was amazing. I mean, it was a red Tirana. I wish I still owned it. it. And like we were saying before, it's probably worth about $100,000 now if it's not in a scrap heap somewhere. Oh, it'd be worth an absolute um, fortune. I know. And I just, I, when I win lotto, I just want to buy another one. But, you know, I had a cassette player in it and big speakers. It was just great. And, yeah, freedom because you could leave the house without getting a lift somewhere. And particularly in Canberra, you needed a car to, to get around. You could pick up Big your friends speakers, and you could go out. Belting out yeah. Yacht Rock. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It was probably more Metallica in those days, but, yeah, very, very cool, very cool. Remember that magazine, Unique Cars? It's still out. And um, I was looking at one the other day in Coles because I hate shopping, and um, there was a Tirana in it, and I don't know if it was next year one or not, but it was $279,000. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, they go for a fortune. I look wow. at them all the time, you know, just every now and then jump online and look at the prices of them and it's just it's heartbreaking. One yeah. of Four and a half my minutes. husband's friends owns and, like, has rebuilt a beautiful white Tirana. It's a SLR and it is just divine and you can hear it. 
purring down the street as it comes. And I run out as if it's an ice cream truck. And I'm like, oh, can, can I look inside it? Can I sit inside it? Can I touch it? It's just the most beautiful thing in the world is a Tarama. It's like our neighbour, he bought himself a 1967 yellow Mustang as a retirement present. I am not a huge Ford fan, but I am a Mustang fan and it is just the most beautiful car and it has this real purr when it's going up and down, when he's doing things with it and what have you. Um, It's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of machinery. I've got to say, I've never been a car guy, but I was, um, I chuckled when I heard that the, the trumpet player in our band had a midlife crisis a couple of years ago and bought himself a Mustang. Cost him like 150 grand or something. Ooh, wow. Oh, incredible my amount of money. Aunt. But yeah, you, you know who I'm talking about. Yes. The king. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I wonder what the insurance would be like mm. on that one. Just imagine. I don't want to Mid-life get into life crises. We're, we're not at a stage where we can afford to have them yet. But anyway, <laughs> the next question Have mm, you a ever had a romantic encounter in your car? No. Really? Really? Not even back in the day? No. No. Don't do dirty things in dirty cars. In a car? No. Cars are for driving and listening to music and going really fast on highways. (coughs) You you never were in a shagging wagon, were you? (laughs) (laughs) No. For driving. That's why it's a shagging wagon. (laughs) You sound almost offended by that question. <laughs> no, God no. No, I'm so much of a prude. God no. What if um, Christopher Cross pulled up at the lights and said, "Hey, babe," <laughs> yeah, in, in the Sandman? It. No, um, if he turned up, if he turned up in his sailboat, maybe, but not in a car. The big yeah. question is: Is it when Christopher Cross looked like Jack Black, or when he looks like Kyle from Tenacious D? Oh, oh how funny is that? <laughs> That meme was just hilarious. So it's got to be a yacht. It can't be a dinghy. Yeah. No, no dinghy. Yeah. No dinghy. Yeah, that goes without saying. Does anyone know what WD-40 actually means? It means fish oil. No. Water water dispenser? So it water, water disperser and 40 was the 40th attempt of the recipe, if you will. To get it right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just like Coke. Yeah. Yeah. Less Coke in WD-40, though. Though I'm sure if you had some, you'd get a high. Invented in 1953 in America. Well, I'm grateful it exists. That's all I can say. Have you ever had a romantic encounter in a car? No, I've had more than one. You said a romantic encounter. Well, well, well. You've had more than one. Good on you, Sid. What about you, because, Eddie? Mm. Oh, no, you've uh, Never. Come on, give us your bit of Sid. What, do you, you need a, an account there, do well, you? Well, you, you said because, so that implies that there is more to come. Well, you just said a romantic encounter, and I just said it's not singular, it's plural. Yes, and you said because. And because sometimes some cars... Uh, just perfectly designed for, for putting a mattress in the back. Did you have a shower, Madam? No, but I had a girlfriend who did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. You had a, she had a Sandman. She had her own shagging wagon. Wow. 
What about and you? When we used to go cruising, it used to be, Rightio, your car, I'll drive. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. What about yeah. you, Graham? Okay, I had a um, 85 Corolla panel van with no side windows. And I remember some early encounters in that, but my favourite would be with um, my current Marianne. I think back when we first met, I had a, a VS Commodore station wagon and that's when I was living with Sid on the farm and um, probably a couple of things Sid doesn't know happened when we were getting home late at night. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to be said for station wagons and panel vans. Yes. Sadly, I must say we didn't have many encounters, but it was in a Mazda um, 626, so it wasn't, Entirely Sexy. roomy. It wasn't roomy. <laughs> um, what about you, Podfather? Oh, sorry, sorry, Graham. Hundreds. Was that, was that when I mistakenly thought there was a wombat outside? Could be. Could mm. have been. Yeah. Oh my god. And, and let's just say there was a wombat, but you know. There was. <laughs> you mean you heard something rooting around outside? Damn right. It's like what, what's what's that creature out there? Oh, how funny. And what happened on the farm stays on the farm. <laughs> what were you saying, Podfather? Possibly a lot. At least two a week in 87, 88, 89 and 90 and 91. Wow. 92. And 92 was a peak probably three times a week. And then I got my own house, so it was cool. That's horrific. <laughs> you've, you've documented this in your memory, haven't you? Yeah. Well, I didn't have anywhere else to go sort of thing. And we lived in a three-bedroom house at Bass right. Hill and there was, I don't know. My sister didn't have the same hang-ups as I did because she was down there. And she was closer to my parents' bedroom. But I sort of had hang-ups about that. So, anyway, and I had a car and she didn't. So, um, yeah, it was cool. And um, that was okay. I lived with that. And then... As I got older, when we moved to Western Park, kind of was too far to drive. You couldn't be bothered and all the rest of it. So um, <laughs> it was just Look, easier. I'm, you know? I'm sure I speak for everyone here and our listener when I say get a room. Yeah, but I couldn't well, afford a room. Bought a house. It was, you know, it was too expensive. And so it wasn't until I started, you know, moved out of home finally that... I'm just having this vision of, um, you know, the movie Titanic where you see the hand go against the window. <laughs> oh. It was far more modest than that, but, um, oh. yes, very steamy. That's just because uh, it was a Sydney summer, but, you know. <laughs> it, it's always hilarious when you go to that car park at Stanmore Tops and if you're already there just to watch the horizon and the ships on the horizon, you will see cars rocket in there and foggy windows all the time. Concord Point used to be packed. like, But everyone used to, like, you would try and park a space away from, from people. Mm-hmm. Everyone was there for the same thing. And then up the top of Bankstown there where the water tower is opposite the lookout, that oh, was yeah. another place. Landsvale, down there where we used to ride our motorbikes illegally, you could hang out. They used to collect Starlight, I think, or something like that. They all had names. <laughs> they all had names. All these places had names. <laughs> I, I, I certainly thought... You had a very dark childhood, didn't you? Um, <laughs> so I think it was very typical of people look. growing up in the western suburbs of Sydney in the <laughs> 80s, 70s and 90s. <laughs> I know. Back in, 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 back in, in the late eighties, was cheap. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like very cheap. You know, Thirty cents very a litre. In the late eighties, we used to have a bit of a rule with parties where if if you're going to be fogging up some windows, you had to park at least five hundred meters away from the party. So, um, 
Oh, okay. It, it wouldn't have been too associated with the party, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, a few a few people just get in a bit of trouble with the police. The drive-in a few times, like many times at the drive-in, because Bass Hill Drive-in was very close to where I lived, and I like oh, yeah. I've always liked movies, you know. So it was good to combine the two. <laughs> You mean pornos? <laughs> you're, you're filming movies. Know, but, you know, movies, I remember, you know, I, one of the, you know, I have fond memories of seeing Clint Eastwood in Pale Rider during mm. a night at Bass Hill Drive-In while otherwise occupied, but still seeing enough of the is movie a, to enjoy it. And, is um, that a euphemism? Mm, <laughs> no, not really. And, um, and I saw many, many movies, yeah. Is I saw, is that the right verb? Well, yeah, you still see them. I mean, it just depends. Like, you just need a bit of logistical, (laughs) I don't know, what would you describe as logistical, not application, but you need to, like, set things up so that you can, you know, see the movie still. You don't want to miss the movie because you paid to see it, right? (laughs) How romantic. But, Kurt, Kurt, I I know when you're talking about... Romance had nothing to do with it. Kurt, I remember that drive-in extremely well because it's a bit like the one over in um, I think Prospect where you'd always have two movies. The first yeah, one yeah, would so be the turn crap around. movie. Yeah, yeah. The first one would be the crap movie and people go, oh, I'm only here for the main feature. So you'd utilise the crap movie because then you'd hang about for the main feature, which you really yeah. paid for. Cool. Yeah. It was cool. And that was your thinking? Well, you know, it just depended on what was on. You sometimes watch both depending you know, and <laughs> otherwise engaged. <laughs> I feel like I've missed out. I have never fogged a window in my life. Honestly, um, is that all you guys did back in your early I, days? You just a lot of went around and had sex in cars. Pretty I much. find it bizarre. A lot of foggy windows. <laughs> I find it bizarre that there's something I've done that you've not done. Oh, God. Dear listener, that brings us to the end of part one of Baby Won't You Drive My Car, where we talk about things automotive and vehicular. Please tune in for Baby Won't You Drive My Car, part two, when we next join you on the podcast with no name.